Hello, and welcome to the Yankees Magazine podcast. John, happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. Oh, thanks, and happy holidays, listeners. Absolutely. It is the season of Christmas music, and it is a good season. It is, because little-known fact, or not little-known fact, uh, for most normal people, Taylor Swift does have a Christmas album, and everybody should be listening to that. That is a little-known fact to me. That Christmas music. I am... Certainly conflicted by, but nonetheless partial to the Phil Spector uh, Christmas album. Interesting. Okay. Which is a pretty perfect uh, collection of music. I can get behind that. Other than you know, the whole other part. Yeah. There's that. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> the Yankees have been delivering so some Yankees. some holiday gifts. <laughs> we have a new manager. We have a new most valuable player from the National League. How are you feeling about these acquisitions? I guess, I don't know, is Boone considered an acquisition? What would we call Boone? A hire. A, a hire? Ma- a manager, even. A ma- wow. Look at us. <laughs> I know. Let's get one of them out of the way first. The Yankees got the NL MVP in exchange for a good second baseman. Yeah. That should be a, <laughs> you make 9,000 times out of 9,000, I think. I think, uh, yes, if given the opportunity to make that deal... You never say no to it. Yeah. So there, there are a million things that can go wrong during the Giancarlo Stanton era in New York. I mean, in the same way, any anything can go wrong anytime. And Aaron Judge may not be the same player Aaron Judge was this year moving forward. You know, this, there, there's certainly no sure thing. But you make that trade every single time. If any time you can get uh, somebody who was just named the National League Most Valuable Player. He's going to make your team better. If he's on the field, he's going to make your team better. Yeah, and he's going to make the team more interesting. He's going to make the team more of a draw. You know, the Yankees are going to be a draw no matter what. But I mean, if you're God, hitting like thousands of feet of home runs every day, what kind of yeah. like complex do you have to have to turn the channel when the Yankees are nearing the top of their lineup right now? You don't. You 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 glue your eyes to the TV and you wait for some kind of magic to happen. If anybody's going to hit a ball out of Yankee Stadium, it's going to be one of those guys. I mean, or Gary Sanchez or Greg Bird. Any of them can hit a ball a million feet. Didi Gregorius. Didi, yes. With all due respect to the Yankees pitchers, there is going to be no one in the seats during tops of innings this year because they're going to be so terrified of missing when the Yankees are up to bat. I don't even know where a safe spot to sit in left field is going to be next year. I don't think you can stand in that area behind the bleachers and expect that a ball won't get to you because someone's going to reach that. No, you're going to be out on those terraces and there's going to be just balls flying your way, left and right, and it's going to be, I don't know, bring a helmet because it's going to be raining baseballs out there. It's just, it's an amazing kind of thing too because in the last year, year and a half, we saw Brian Cashman do something we had never really seen him do which was kind of throw up his hands and say, let's see what happens when the Yankees are sellers. Mm-hmm. And he did pretty well. You got these incredible prospects. Uh, you know, you look at right now where the prospect, how the prospect rankings go, and you have Glaber up top. You know, you have Justice Sheffield right there, Dylan Tate's right there. It's a, it, it, it was an incredible haul. And then you think of what he has done back when he's acting in the way you expect the general manager to act. And the difference, though, is he didn't have to give up any of those guys. No. You know, you have a... Guzman that they got in the Brian McCann trade. Look, I mean, he might go on to have a great career, and I hope he has an incredible career. And, you know, it's this weird thing that I think sometimes fans have a little bit of trouble with, which is prospects, you can't fall in love with them in the with the idea of them being, you know, in Monument Park someday. Right. Sometimes the best use of a prospect is to go get the NL MVP. 
And that doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean that, you know, they're trading these two prospects as well, Starlin Castro, because they expect that they're flawed or that they're not great. Or sometimes you just have to make the deal. I remember doing a Cashman story. I did a Cashman story around this time last year. I was writing one. So I was interviewing Brian and our, our 2017 year was very much up in the air nobody knew exactly what was going to happen and i remember talking to brian about what's it like to kind of be the underdog what is it like to be the gm where you're selling instead of buying and he's like and in at one point i had found this quote where he said that would be his dream to like tear down a team and i asked him about it he's like it's not my dream to tear down a team i want to win and that's what he's trying to do right now and he's always said in that many times that I've talked to him about prospects, a prospect is nothing yet. A prospect is just a dream. And you, he could be amazing or he could be nothing. He could be the number one ranked guy and flame out. Or he can be a 40th round pick or whatever and be a Hall of Famer. You, you just literally have no idea. So like you said, if you have the chance to get a nationally most valuable player for a couple of prospects you don't know about, of course you're going to do that. And Brian is one of the best at doing that. So It's going to be a lot of fun to watch next year. And I imagine it's going to be a lot of fun for our new manager um, <laughs> to get to do that lineup every day. Cards on the table, you know, it's a still a slightly weird situation. You know, you get within one game of the World Series and you kind of make a lot of change after that. And you, part of, there's always going to be a part of you that says, hey, hold, hold the phone here. Like, let's not let's not mess around too much. But, right, if it ain't broke. Yeah, and, and obviously different people will have different arguments about whether it was broken, and mm-hmm. that's, you know, I'm not paid to make that judgment, and I probably wouldn't be very good at it. But that said, you couldn't ask for Aaron Boone to do much more in the, you know, last week and a half or so since uh, that all came out. And it, when his name was first brought up, it was kind of just like, well, that is odd. But at the same time, the more you talk the more you hear him talk, the more you hear Brian Cashman talk about him. And one thing that I thought was interesting was when Cashman was talking about the chance that George Steinburn took on him when he was a young yeah. uh, kid and he made him the general manager. And you could see that that was meaningful to him as he was evaluating. Right, a guy with no experience and he got a shot and he ran with it. So, yeah. so paying it forward, I guess. It's uh, it's interesting and it's going to, there's going to be a, a lot of pressure on him, but he comes from a family that's used to that kind of pressure. He certainly sur- survived big league pressure, including, you know, one of the biggest moments in recent Yankees history. He, he played here. He had a, a thing that happened to him here, and that was a, a pretty big thing. Yeah, I mean, you got, you got to wonder. Like, that's already a video that you uh, – like a clip you see a lot. Are we going to see that every, like, third inning? I think yes. I think, yeah, bet on it. Uh, you're going to be seeing that that – Boone with his hands raised running around those bases in 2003 a lot. It's always it's always interesting to me though, you know, you look at Georgetown, Patrick Ewing coaching at Georgetown and you look at, you know, Chris Mullen coaching at St. John's. And granted, you know, Aaron Boone is not a legendary Yankee. He he's a he's a Yankee who had a legendary moment. But I always wonder like sometimes when it's just like you know what, wouldn't it be better for everyone involved if I just didn't touch this legacy at all? Right. Like, isn't my Yankees legacy, isn't my Georgetown, my St. John's legacy kind of perfect? Because at the end of the day, none of these end well. No, no, very few relationships of coach to team or manager to team end well. Right. And I have to imagine Aaron Boone's personal Yankees career could not have gone too much better, considering uh, that it was a short time that he spent here, but 
pretty incredible moment. I don't know if I would have the courage ever to say, you know what, like, let's uh, that's good. Let's go that's swim cool. in this pool again. Yeah, let's uh, let's just dive right back in and yeah. see what happens. But um, good for him. It's uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to cover it. I'm excited about the the different storylines that we've got going on this year. I think it's going to be an exciting year. We've obviously been working this off season on stuff for next season. We've both been traveling. John, you just got back from Tampa this week. I just got back from Oregon last week. So it's been busy. What, tell me about Tampa. What's going on in Tampa? Tampa was interesting. It's you know it's the holiday season. It was kind of a funny little time in, in Yankees world because on the one hand, you have all this huge news happening in New York. I flew down there on Monday, which was actually – the day of the Giancarlo Stanton press conference in Orlando, I was flying to Tampa. And what I was going down there for was the Steinbrenner family. This is now the 29th year. They've been putting on holiday concerts around the Tampa Bay area. And, you know, I'm going to write about this um, early next year. I had literally no idea what to expect. I kind of thought this was going to be, you know, a concert in like a little you know, auditorium, like mm-hmm. a high school auditorium or something like that. Hillary, you're laughing because you went to this last year. <laughs> yes, I did. It's it, it's crazy how impressive it is. It's three. It's a, it's a really nice, they do an incredible yeah. job with it, yeah. It's three big music facilities. It's the Florida Orchestra, which, you know, those guys can play. They're very um, good. <laughs> they're, they're impressive. But it's, it's this incredible tradition of philanthropy from the Steinbrenner family, it's it's not the first thing you think of when you think of the Steinbrenner family. You think of things like Aaron Boone and uh, Giancarlo Stanton, but you talk to people around the Tampa area, and for a lot of them, it is the first thing they think of when they think of the Steinbrenner family. It's the, sure. you know things like the hospital with uh, George's name on it that they gave so much money the boys to. And the bo- I was gonna say, boys and so Girls Club. I was going to say Boys and Girls Club. Yes. And these concerts, which you know, for 29 years, it's basically everyone said. It, very little has changed. The only changes that have been made are things that George himself uh, dictated had to be done differently <laughs> from year to year. Starts off, and I was kind of just blown away by the quality of the music. And you know, I'm a good Jewish boy who absolutely adores Christmas music, so I was very much in my wheelhouse. But one thing that I loved was so they bust these school kids in for these concerts. And instead of just having them sit there and listen to great music, which would be awesome, they really, like, it's very educational. It's a local uh, news anchor um, who hosts this, MCs this thing, and he spends the whole time explaining all the different families of a symphony orchestra and, you know, the woodwinds and the brass and, you know, the percussion and all these things. And I, I don't know how to imagine that most of these third or fourth or fifth graders you know, a lot of them had ever really considered any of these things before, let alone even heard. Right, never heard an orchestra, never seen an orchestra, never even knew maybe what a, a, a xylophone or whatever looks like. Like, they've never seen it before. And now they're getting this world-class education from this world-class orchestra. And, and, and there's ballet. I mean, a couple selections from the Nutcracker Suite, which is, you know, really famous and all heard it a million times. But to watch, you know, an incredible ballet dancer and to see... I was talking to the conductor one of the days, and it's like, the Yankees are very good at getting people to ooh and ah. Yeah. But, you know, you don't expect that they're going to do it with ballet. and um, <laughs> Not quite in the wheelhouse. Yeah. And, and it was really, it was, a very, it was a very cool thing to see. It is clear how much this means to the Steinbrenner family. Um, Hal was there. Jenny was there for all three of them. You could see, you know, she brings friends. It's a very big thing for her Mm -hmm. that they get to do this. And just to see these kids going crazy for a symphony orchestra, it was fascinating to me. And it was was great to see. I loved 
the music. I loved the theaters. It was really a lot of fun. And it is very easy to get caught up in the in off season where you're thinking about these moving pieces and this thing. And oh my God, the Yankees just got the NL MVP to come for nothing. This is a very important part of the Yankees calendar. And it was nice to get to see it. And, you know, as an employee of the Yankees, it's nice that, you know, our organization does things like this. It's a really special and important thing they do for the community down in Tampa. And they do it up here, too. They just had a Winter Wonderland event here at Yankee Stadium. They're having a food drive. This is so ingrained in this organization. It doesn't get talked about a lot. We try to. We always try to cover it. We have a community section in our magazine that we cover these events. And it is, uh, it's honestly a privilege to do so. And I, I enjoyed doing it last year. And I'm glad you had fun this year, John. I really did. I really I really love the music. It was, it was absolutely great. Awesome. <laughs> and so, yeah, tell me about Oregon. Anything interesting happen? Uh, no, it was a very you know mundane, <laughs> mundane trip down to, up to Oregon. Uh, I went to Oregon to to visit with Scott Brocious, who grew up in Oregon and still lives there. He's now with the Seattle Mariners, but obviously had some of his best playing years of his career here with the Yankees. He was he came over in '98 in the winter of 97 actually which is what kind of led me to him because in November was the 20th anniversary of the trade that brought him here and he was a player to be named later and almost exactly a year after that he was a World Series MVP and I really wanted to tell that story so I went and I I talked with Scott we sat for two and a half hours just chatting and talking about the season and and the, the struggles he had the year before and the success he had here and how apprehensive he was to come to New York because he's a guy from a small town in Oregon and New York was literally his last choice and he really made the most of it and yeah it was a great conversation he was a great guy one of the nicest guys very open and uh and then and then I had some car trouble <laughs> and eventually made it back to New York, but it was fine. Where in Oregon does he live? He lives in McMinnville, which is uh, more than an hour west of Portland. So it's like an hour and 15 minutes west of Portland, which is 30 miles, 30, 40 miles east of the coast. So it's, it's you know, in the in the middle of nowhere near a mountain in Oregon. And that's, that's where we were. We met at this... One of his favorite, like, breakfast spots, which is just, like, this little place called the Laughing Bean, which is in, like, a strip mall, and they had great omelets, and we just sat and chatted over omelets, and it was, he was very nice, and he was, he's so humble. I was struck by how humble he was. He, even now, didn't want to take any credit for the Yankees and their success that they had in 1998, despite the fact that everybody you asked that year and in the years following said that, the Yankees won because Scott Brocious did so well. Like, he was the catalyst. And he was the 8 or 9 hitter most of the year. So I thought it was really interesting. And I'm excited to write the uh, story, actually stories, because we're going to do a couple things with Scott over the next year. So I was going to say, also, you know, one of the guys who made a lot of those comments about Scott recently to me was Tino Martinez, mm-hmm. who I saw while I was in Tampa. And, you know, we're going to spend a lot of time with the 1998 team this year. It's going to be an interesting 20th anniversary because – that 1998 team, it kind of falls into a weird place because on the one hand, by some metrics, it's the best team in franchise history, mm-hmm. has the most wins in franchise history. And on the other hand, it came as part of a dynasty so that, you know, it's almost a little bit lost sometimes. Like, you know, we just celebrated 1996. And right. I think for a lot of people, that 1996 memory... Eclipses yeah, the 98 team. It, it does. Yeah. And, I, and it's one thing I asked Tino was, 
would it have been different? Would that team be viewed differently if it had been kind of like a one-off? What if it hadn't been part of this, you know, just run of incredible success, a, a run so successful that, you know, they won four out of five years and that 1997 year when they didn't win can still burn them so much because that's how good these teams were that they just expected it someone so it's gonna be interesting to look back at that team because we're gonna try to do it differently than we did 96 we obviously don't want to tell the same stories we did in 1996 a lot of the same players are involved so Mm -hmm. we're trying to find some different names but one thing you keep getting back to and what's going to make it so interesting is like you said scott brocious and this is just not the guy who in february of 1998 when they were reporting spring training no one thought that this was going to be the key to the team with the most wins in franchise history. Very little expected from a player to be named later in a trade that initially, and I will confirm this with Brian Cashman when I speak to him, <laughs> I, I read that Brian Cashman initially said no to Scott Brocious. <laughs> so nobody expected much from this guy who had the worst year of his career in 1997 and was just like, okay, we'll take him, I guess. <laughs> He's got a good glove. Yeah, he can play some third base, and we yeah. need a third baseman until Mike Lowell shows up. It's a really funny. This is a really funny time of year for us because, you know, I I don't know about you. I know that I'm currently working on five stories, none yeah. of which has a deadline yet. Correct. So it's like on the one hand, you know, it's like I have so many things that I should be doing. On the other hand, it's tough to figure out at any given time which one I'm writing, and right. I have these thoughts in my head, and you know, we're talking this stuff out right now, and I'm kind of brainstorming it as we get ready for a long weekend when we're not in the office and things like that we're basically recording a brainstorming session right now for how we're going to write these stories you know it's gonna be interesting over the next couple of months to actually start writing all of these things i mean i was in arizona a few weeks ago for the arizona fall league Mm -hmm. i had this tampa trip i'm kind of working on a trip right now to the dominican republic and things just just keep changing like we we had a theme for the yearbook and now we we changed everything so it's like it's that'll happen when you sign the or you trade for when you trade for an mvp that's what's going to happen so everything's up in the air and i i love it and i hate it because as somebody with very severe OCD, I like to have things in order. And I don't know what's going to happen next. So I'm just working on my stories as much as I can. And I'm excited about what's to come. But I, I wish I knew. Yeah. But and, at the same time, whatever. It's and cool. I mean, look, the ninja front office over here pulled uh, John Carlos Stanton out of a hat. So who knows? Uh, exactly. Who's going to be next? So what do you say? Should we uh, go to a little break right now and then come back and do I some think, fun stuff with the holidays? I think we've got some holiday cheer in us. All right, so sounds good. John, what would you like to talk about first? We have a couple, a couple little games that we can play. I think what we should do first is it's the season of giving. If it you is will. indeed. Yes. I think that you know I would like to figure out for our loved ones and for your loved ones if you're listening. If you need the last minute gift, here are some uh, memories, if you will, that you can pass along to uh, the Yankees fans in your life as we do a little season review. I'd say of uh, Yankees gifts. So, for example, for the true true love of your life, my first suggestion to you is going to be the comeback against the Astros. I can't believe the way that stadium turned in that moment and look they lost the series it was just this remarkable run of just dramatic at bats and i was really i keep going back to it kind of just these weird things that we get to cover in this job and we get to see in this job and you know get to be in the room for and that was i remember when just judge made contact for whatever reason i decided i was just gonna be like recording that at bat with my phone and he makes contact and i mean like 
you know where we were sitting. We were sitting all the way in the very, very, very farthest reaches of right field. Yeah. But just wa- tracking that ball to the, the wall in left field. Um, and that was when they tied it, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah. We talked about this a lot in this podcast already. Having been there in 2009, you know, I've certainly seen what the stadium is like when uh, the team wins the World Series. I can't say that that was when they won the World Series that it was any louder or more exciting than it was during that comeback in that game. That was incredible, and I'll, I'll always remember it because I'll always remember how tired I was. I was just so, so tired that that postseason wears you out, and this was my first one. So I don't know if it's the same for you, but for me, I was not expecting to be as tired as I was for the entire time. And... So the thought of them going down, it would have been three games to one by that point, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then it would be like, okay, well. This was fun. That was fun. It was cool. Now I can sleep maybe because I don't don't think anything good is going to happen after that. But when they turned that game, all of a sudden this like the, the sound of the stadium and this hope springs in you and you're like, oh, my God. Oh my God! This is this is amazing. What if they win? What if they keep winning? And it's that it's that hope that kind of like reignites the spark in you, and you and you forget how tired you are, which you know your whole body is saying, "Please go to sleep," but your mind is like, "No, no, no! This is too exciting to to go to sleep for." So yeah, that was a good one. I think my my gift to to my loved one would be probably Aaron Judge's home run derby performance because. In that first round, I thought he was I thought he was gonna lose because he he had to he had to hit a lot of home runs in that first round. I he was down and and judge he just kept going and I was like, Oh my god. I'm not one to get really excited about a home run derby. Like it's most of the time pretty boring. But I was on the edge of my seat at my friend's house, like, Oh my god, go, 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 go and it was so exciting and I was I had never been that excited for a home run derby and then to watch him this humble guy, this just gentle giant, this amazing young man, swarmed at home plate by his teammates, by his teammates on the all-star team, the opposing all-stars, all of the guys at the game just congratulating him. I thought that was just such a nice moment and just such a fun memory. It was really, it was, it was a very, very special thing to be there for. The Iron Judge story is going to stick with a lot of people for a long time this year. I mean, this was a different All-Star game. This was the first time in a while it wasn't home field. There wasn't anything. Right. Well, there wasn't know, much on the line. There wasn't so anything on the line. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and again, you know, not that the home field thing ever really mattered. But, you know, this, there's no question that the Home Run Derby was bigger than the All-Star game this year. And one thing that I'll always keep from that experience, besides for the un- holy volume of the speakers at Marlins <laughs> Park. Um, Aaron was very insistent that he was going to treat it like BP. And part of that was he brought along his BP pitcher, Danilo Valiente. And, you know, Danilo, he's not a, he, he, he's not even a fish, an official coach with the team. He's a batting practice thrower. Right. And he throws to judge all year. And I remember a couple days before the All-Star break, 
when Aaron announced that he was going to have Danilo throw to him, and all of a sudden, for the first time, probably, I don't even know, maybe in his life, or I don't know what, you know, this massive scrum of media crowds around mm-hmm. Danilo in the dugout, and he's having the time of his life, um, <laughs> you know, and you know, he's using an interpreter, because he doesn't speak, really speak English, but he's having the time of his life just talking about, you know, what it's like to pitch BP to Aaron Judge. And then, just watching him during the derby itself, and getting to see, like, you know, when Judge won, and they give him the trophy, and he like, brings Danilo over and has mm-hmm. him like hoist it up with him and then the press conference afterward judge sits down and right next to him Danilo comes in there judge didn't need to do that you know there was no reason for him to have Danilo up there with him in that press conference I think it makes him more comfortable to deflect a little bit of the attention but to get to see that in person and just to see this was obviously a very cool and very real moment in Aaron Judge's life Mm -hmm. and I think that the expectation on his part is that he'll have more of those this might have been the greatest moment in Danilo Valiente's baseball life. Yeah. Opportunities like this don't come around for a guy like Danilo very often. So it was it was definitely cool to see him kind of get a little taste of that spotlight because he's one of the unsung heroes. Like you said, he's throwing BP to these guys, not just Judge, to Sanchez and all those guys in that group every single day. And that's part of their game, and that's part of what makes them the hitters that they are. So good for him. and. Good for Aaron for for doing that. I mean, it's obviously part of his defense mechanism to kind of push it push away. it away. <laughs> but in doing so, it gives somebody else a spotlight they would never have otherwise. So I think that's pretty cool. All right, I went first, so you got the next two. So you gave me Judge. What's your next pick? For the friend in my life that enjoys comedy, I would give the game in which. Brian Mitchell, who's now no longer with the team, was pitching and then moved to first base and then moved back to pitcher and was forced to make an out at first base, which I thought was hilarious from beginning to end. I really, really, I really liked it. I thought it was baseball at its most weird. And that's that's that was just fun. That was a fun day because I remember watching the game and we all were in a group chat. I was like, what's why is this happening? I was at that game for the first, like, six innings, and I left right before this craziness happened. And I remember <laughs> listening on the radio as they're trying to figure out what happened, and hilarious listening on the radio to this because, <laughs> you know, just trying to figure out, like, on every pitch, you know, what the, you know, alignment was going to be. And then, okay, now it's made. Who's going to pitch this next batter? That was a, that was a fun one. <laughs> oh, so man. I think uh, a gift for a good friend who maybe uh, is a little down on his luck, I'm going to give – Michael Pineda in the home opener. Now, I hope that this friend who's down on his luck doesn't, like, you know, read until the end of the story because I don't want to then depress him with how the <laughs> the year ended. But Michael Pineda is a big dude, a, a real, you know, large personality and, you know, kind of funny. And I always liked talking to him. And he, when he struggled, he really wore it pretty hard. Yeah. You could see him that he never really could understand even just watching him on the mound when he would give a home run he would always look like astonished with his you know hand on his hip looking at the ball go and he just never fully knew what you were going to get with him and I think that this was going to be a big year for him and then he just comes out in that home opener and his first start was not good on the road but then he comes out in the home opener and what was it, like seven and a third or seven and two thirds perfect of perfect baseball yeah and it was just it was one of those things that you know, you expected an interesting season after the way the young kids played at the end of 2016. Mm-hmm. And the season didn't start off great. <laughs> no. But you expected an interesting season. And then just for the home opener, when you're always going to have an optimistic day at the home opener. It doesn't matter what you did last year. Right. The home opener is going to be a fun, happy day. And the weather was good. And just watching that inning by inning as just like the place 
it was just electric. And, you know, that was probably the best moment for Pineda in the season. And then obviously it ended badly with Tommy John surgery. And now his time with the Yankees is over. Um, and, and, and that bums me out because I really did enjoy watching him develop and watching the way that, you know, he started trusting his change up more and kind of became a more complete pitcher. And all that stuff, whatever he becomes, who knows. But just that one day in April, watching that outing, that was a pretty cool moment in baseball. Definitely. Getting to see that. Definitely. So I guess I have one more. And I'm really torn on this one, and I think you're going to laugh with where I eventually go on this. I'm going to give not the moment itself, but the reaction to the Greg Bird home run against the um, Indians (laughs) Uh in the division series. Because I don't think I've ever seen a Yankee get away with reacting to anything that way. That was the most just primal expression of joy (laughs) I think I've ever seen from a a Yankees player. Uh, And it was incredible. It was just this amazingly no doubt amazing no doubter of a home run from bird and you know bird had also a, a, a really rough year you know when he was on the field he was excellent and the second when he came back when he was healthy yeah when he was healthy but obviously especially after missing all of last year it was a difficult you know adjustment for him and man when he connected with that ball in that game i mean just the reaction and just the the, the thing is so you, you have him staring at the dugout kind of as he made contact and just watching this ball fly to neptune and then when he crossed the plate and just the hop in his step as he gave high fives to everybody that 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 is something you want to bottle and kind of take out on a rainy day in a, in a zero zero game in the biggest game of your career and to hit that home run after the year that he had had it was yeah, yeah. definitely a much deserved like moment of joy for Greg. My last one, I guess for the for the friend or person who's going through a little bit of a rough patch, I would give Luis Severino's whole year because this is a guy who in 2015 came to the major leagues and set it on fire. He was great pitching, starting and he was seen as the future of the Yankees rotation and then in 2016 he melted down like few ever before him. He was like 0 and 8 as a starter or something like that. ERA in the like 20s at one point, like he was not good. He was quite bad. It was hard to watch and this kid and he was a kid. He was I think 20 years old, 21 years old when this was happening. He went to the bullpen and then in the off season after the 2016 year that was awful. He really looked inward and he worked on his game and he self-diagnosed what was wrong with some help, you know, <laughs> from coaches and, and pitching legends like Pedro Martinez. But he was very hard on himself and he knew that he had possibly squandered his opportunity, but he wasn't willing to just give up. And he worked so hard and he came back and really redefined himself as an ace despite the wild card game fiasco <laughs> in which he got one out and gave up three runs it was a bad it was a bad out it was a bad you know 30 pitches or whatever but then he again he bounced back and i think it's just that kind of mental resolve is really inspiring to me and especially a guy as young as he was and as willing to be as accountable as he was and to work as hard as he did to prove himself i think that 
that whole performance this whole year from Luis Severino is really. And he responded so well to that too. Um, you know, he, he was shaken by the game for it sure. Was, it was pretty clear um, by that wild card game, but then he just wanted the ball and he took it and he was terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I thought I thought he did a great job. I think that's a great call though. I think that you know Severino was just so awesome to watch this year and. He's such a good guy. Such um, a good guy. You know, he really he he's just a lot of fun to watch around the clubhouse. The the celebration after the um, wild card game. You know, you could say whatever you want about you know the, whether there are too many celebrations in baseball or not. But that one felt, especially after the way that game started, that oh one God. felt incredibly well deserved, real and well deserved. Yeah. yeah, this was a pretty special season. Um, Unexpected, but fun. It was a fun ride and um, fun year. It was a really fun year. I'm, I'm looking forward to 2018. Well, I think we're all looking forward to 2018. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. But before that, since it's it's nearly Christmas and Hanukkah, it is the, as we're recording this, the eighth day of Hanukkah, right? It is the seventh day. Tomorrow is the eighth day. Tonight is the eighth night of Tonight Hanukkah. Tonight is the eighth night of Hanukkah? Yes. And so Christmas is less than, less a, week than a week away now. So let's do a little holiday movie draft. Yes. We're all gonna take a break from baseball for the next week or so, mm-hmm. and uh, watch a lot of ho- we can a lot of Christmas movies. A lot of Christmas movies. Yeah, you know, I can't really think of. Hanukkah There's not movies. too many Hanukkah movies. I've yet to find a good Kwanzaa movie. I mean, unless you count Eight Crazy Nights. The, I do not count Eight Crazy the, Nights. The great Adam Sandler classic. So, I picked first <laughs> last time. What's your first draft pick here? My this is really hard because i you just suggested it i know but i really like christmas movies and there's a lot of good ones but i think my first pick would have to be a christmas story because it is a classic i am not gonna lie tbs runs 24 hours of a christmas story and i have it on my tv for 24 hours from the moment it starts until the moment it ends tbs is on in my bedroom just playing in a loop and so that way when if i'm ever in my bedroom there it is there's a christmas story and i am happy as a clam when he comes in in his easter bunny outfit when he shoots his eye out spoiler alert it's just it's just such a good movie and i went to the a christmas story house last year two years ago cleveland in cleveland and that was it was it was where dreams were made of man i'm really happy that you took a christmas story number one because i can't believe i'm gonna say this i've never seen it (gasps) I know, and it John. is as you said. It is on so much that you. I think I have to work harder. Sacrilegious, not to see yeah. It. You there's like you have to actively not watch yeah, it when it's, it's it, on, when it's Christmas time. It's not even one of those things that I could say that like oh I've seen every part of it but never in the right order. I don't think I've ever. I, I've of course like I know I knew every scene that you were describing mm-hmm. just from you know the world, <laughs> but I've never seen even a scene of that movie. There's a part of me that feels like it's a slight badge of honor at this point, but I, that's obnoxious. <laughs> All right, so I get two picks now. The first one is very, very – I'm, I'm going to say both of these are actually very obvious. So number one is Die Hard. It is absolutely a Christmas movie, no matter what anyone says. It is mm-hmm. a perfect Christmas movie. Okay. It is – every part of it is enjoyable. It doesn't get old. <laughs> Hans you know, Gruber is a great villain. I'll give you that. He's a terrific villain. Bruce Willis is never better, except for maybe in Die Hard 2. Also a Christmas <laughs> movie. But, um, I think we, the one thing I'm pretty sure we can all agree on is that Die Hard 3 is not a Christmas movie and that Die Hard 4 and 5 did not happen. I think we can Fair. agree on those three I think, things. Yes, yeah. That's fine with me. But yeah, Die Hard's definitely number one. Now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. Pretty clear this is a Christmas movie. 
obviously. Yes. So that's number one. No debate for me. So die hard. Number two for me, my second round pick. Easily could have gone number one. I just watched this last night, but Elf. I cannot possibly get enough of Elf. And that is despite <laughs> the fact that the last 45 minutes or so of it are just horrifically bad. It's bad. Yeah. Bad. I remember. Like, not even like charming bad like just bad it's just a bad movie yeah because I, I watched it on the plane and i was like what is this yeah. that i'm watching the central park rangers yeah. and, and yeah it is so wonderful though the first, that first half the first three quarters of that movie i cannot <laughs> possibly get enough of i all year long i quote every part of that movie um i desperately desperately sometimes when i hear phone phones ring i want to go pick them up and say buddy the elf what's your favorite color <laughs> do you put syrup on your uh, i would spaghetti? i would just for just for <laughs> i love the movie i i think it is absolutely will ferrell's best role it is the role he was meant to do it is oh it's just it's so happy <laughs> i'm <laughs> Beat red right now about how much I love this movie. And I just watched it last night. If it's on again tonight, I would not bet against me watching it. So I guess now it's my turn. And I don't know. I don't know how to quantify this because my next pick would be Home Alone, but like both Home Alones because both of them are so great. Lost in New York. I think. I, I don't know. I love them both so so much uh, because Lost in, Lost in New York has one of my favorite lines in all of cinematic history. When Kevin has lured the the now sticky bandits back to the his aunt and uncle's house in Manhattan, the the sticky bandits are calling from him from the top of the roof, and Kevin calls up, "Nice night for a neck injury." And every single time, I die laughing because I think it's the funniest line I've ever heard in my life, and I use it quite a lot. <laughs> and it was like, "How are you?" I'm like, "Oh, it's a nice night for a neck injury." So that would be that would be my second choice is Home Alone and Home Alone Two: Lost in New York because I think they're a package. I think one goes with the other, and you have to love them both equally, as I do. All right. And what's number three for you? <sighs> number three is hard because there are two movies that I'm thinking of. And I don't know which one to pick. Okay. I think because uh, of my, my deep, deep love of romantic comedies and just happy endings... I'm gonna go with love actually as my th- as my number three because there's and and my love of British people in general. <laughs> um, so love actually I think is a terrific Christmas movie. It's got so many great actors in it. It's got so many fun storylines. Alan Rickman and Hugh Grant. Alan Rickman's doing very well on this list so far. Yeah, I mean Alan Rickman for the win and Emma Thompson, Kira Knightley. And Chiwetel Ejiofor before anyone who knew who Chiwetel Ejiofor was, and Andrew Lincoln before he was in The Walking Dead. Like this whole cast is phenomenal, and the stories are just so happy and fun, and it's just it's just a really it's a feel good movie, and I really like to feel good around this time. Um, so that was my that's my third pick for those wondering. I was thinking of The Santa Claus as my other one because. I've I've always loved the Santa Claus since I was a young child, and I think Tim Allen is really funny in that movie. So for my number three, this is actually going to be really hard. I can't even say that I'm going to pick with great confidence, so I'm just going to cop out. I'm going to say both of them here. <laughs> okay. Christmas Vacation is obviously a classic. It is a classic, yes. Um, I, every time I think of the scene 
of him skidding along in the sled, of him, the scene when he, I was just thinking the other day, looking at all the Christmas lights around town, of, you know, flicking the light switch and uh, <laughs> never getting it to work. And uh-huh. obviously, you know, the classic, why is the floor wet, Todd? <laughs> I don't know, Margot. Um, which is another one of those things that I randomly quote year round. That's not what I'm going to go with, though. I'm going to go with Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. It is... That's a, that's a great movie. It is so funny. <laughs> <laughs> it is... I can probably... While it is not on TBS 24-7, no. sometimes it feels like it is. I think, yeah. like Die Hard, you can pretty much always find it within a 24-hour yeah. period on There's some channel. There's always some channel playing it. And no matter what scene you turn it on to in that movie, it is going to be great. John Candy's character is genius i mean it is just so <laughs> incredible the scene when they're driving the wrong way on the highway <laughs> and you just feel uh steve martin dying inside the cast in that movie is perfect the, <laughs> the rental car scene i'm it's I, all I, so good you're right, you're yeah, right. It's, it, it's just great i love it it is you know home alone was a great call uh christmas story i'll have to take your word for it love actually it. my wife's one of my wife's very favorite movies of all time. Certainly, I would mention her favorite Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know of any nice way to say this, but I'm pretty sure I won this draft. Because I just the three movies that I just named, I can't even imagine a better way to spend a day than watching Die Hard, Elf, and Plane, Trains, and Automobiles. Well, I think you you lose some points for like the, the last third of elf that's fair that's fair that's very reasonable. that is a garbage <laughs> yeah. some garbage movie making although zoe de chanel you know before she became kind of annoying true um a nice little singing, singing part there you've never seen a christmas story so you you don't know what you're missing that's true so i don't know i would i would sign up every day all day for a christmas story followed by home alone one and two followed by love actually okay so here's what we're gonna need to do then you're gonna need to email us at podcast P-O-D-C-A-S-T at Yankees.com. And you're ready to tell us if you could choose not which movie, but if you could choose which movie <laughs> marathon. Which of us do you agree with more? Uh, let us know. John or Hillary. Um, you know, John is spelled J-O-N. Hillary is spelled J-O-N. No, no, no. And... Hillary is spelled the correct way with just the one L. Because uh, who needs a superfluous L? Yeah, no. Honestly. She believes in an economy of L's. Yeah. Um, but also, seriously, email us or tweet at us um, at Yanks Magazine with your favorite Christmas movies, holiday movies, whatever. Find me a good Hanukkah movie and I'll happily watch it. Yeah, give us some Rex. We, you know, we definitely didn't mention It's a Wonderful Life. Could have been on any I list. I know, could have been on any of the uh, lists. You know, that, that, Scrooge, that one kind of, that another one kind of good belonged. one. Sure, sure, sure. So, <laughs> you know, we left we left a lot of meat on these bones. Uh, so let us know how we did. But really, I'm going to let Hillary have the last word here. But before, I just want to... If you are still listening, thanks for sticking with us this year. We kind of have been learning a lot about how to do this stuff. Yeah, it's um, been fun. We're hoping we'll get even better next year. We're hoping to get to do some exciting things with this uh, podcast next year. Hillary, if you're listening to out there and you were wondering if you can teach yourself how to make a podcast, Hillary taught herself how to make a podcast in about a day or two and did, a, I think, a pretty incredible job with it. Thanks, John. Um, we're really excited for what we can do with this in the year forward and you know, I personally just want to, before I pass it over to Hillary to end the year, if you will, I just want to wish everyone a very happy holiday season. Thanks for listening. Congratulations on getting to Carlos <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy any holiday you celebrate. And uh, yeah, happy new year. 
Thanks, John. Uh, thanks for joining me this year. Thanks for coming along on this this ride and, and being one of the hosts of the inaugural year of the Yankees Magazine podcast. I enjoyed doing it. I hope you enjoyed being a part of it. And I hope all of you guys enjoyed listening to it. Obviously, we're always looking to get better. So if you have suggestions or comments or literally anything, we'd love to hear it. Email us, like John said, tweet at us, um, leave, rate and review us because we'll read those and, and listen to those. And definitely keep keep reading the the stuff we're putting out a little update we're gonna be putting out stuff from the monument park commemorative very soon it'll be available online before christmas so check that out at yankees.com magazine and be on the lookout for more new content as as the next year gets rolling we're gonna be at spring training before we know it and i don't know it's it's been really fun and i, I thank you guys so much for listening and for sticking it out with us um, as we learn and do this on the fly. We're, we're getting better every time, I think. I hope. I hope. <laughs> if not, please let us know, and we'll, we'll, we'll adjust. <laughs> Just be nice. It's the holiday season. <laughs> I hope everybody has a great holiday, a very happy and healthy new year, and we'll see you in 2018. Bye, guys. 